0: The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Girl in the Picture, Episode 4. At 7 a.m. sharp, Takada was the first to knock on their hotel room door. Nice day for a heist, he said, stepping inside. Takada wore all black dress shirt, suspenders, pleated trousers, and a fresh fedora but the loss of his blazer only accented his athletic figure. Not a bad view, he added, going to the fifth-story window. Coffee? Maud offered. None for me, said Takata. Around here, my jitters get mistaken for earthquakes. Elizabeth smiled at this. Charlie knocked only a minute later, and he stepped carefully into the room. Charlie! Charlie! Said Elizabeth. Meet Takada. Takada, my brother. Takada removed his hat and extended a hand. I'd like to think I'm well acquainted, he said. I've seen all your pictures. Charlie reddened. You have? I take my niece to the Nickelodeon every Saturday, said Takada. You might say she's a Mike Bravo connoisseur. Remembering himself, Charlie leaned forward. And accepted Takada's handshake. Then he paused, gazing into the detective's face. Checking for beauty marks? Takada said. No, it's just. you look like her. Takada grimaced. I hear that a lot. And now that I think about it, Charlie persisted, you take your niece, you said. Is that Akari? Takada nodded slowly. Sure is. Rose told me there was a fan in the family, and her uncle always took her to the, so that's you, that's me. A long silence followed as the two men assessed each other in a new light. Elizabeth watched them, uncertain how to proceed. Their introduction had begun with surprising intimacy. For the first time, She wondered whether Charlie had daydreamed about marrying Rose, even if it was illegal. In that other reality, Charlie and Takata could be family. They all could be. Coffee, she said. I'm fine, Charlie answered distantly. I'm trying to cut back. Down to business, then, Elizabeth said. It's pretty simple, actually. A car is waiting for us downstairs. A Dodge roadster, Charlie balked a roadster, Where do you even find it's nice, interrupted Elizabeth, but not too nice, and there's plenty of room room for what Elizabeth took a breath. she had told her brother almost nothing of the day's itinerary, and she needed to tread carefully. Charlie, you'll drive, I'll take shotgun. "'Maud will hunker down in the back seat, out of sight, and Takada will take the trunk.' Charlie looked from one face to another. Only Maud wilted under the gaze, clearly as clueless as he was. "'What for?' "'I'm glad you asked,' Elizabeth said. "'I will be playing the part of your agent. You have an appointment at the Copeland Motion Picture Company.' Appointment for what? Well, what else? You're interviewing for a part in their next movie. You mean I'm auditioning? Oh, said Elizabeth. Is that what they call it? But I'm i am not. No, you're not. But you'll act like you are. It's time to test that star power. There's no way, Charlie protested. They, they won't just let me in, not without a real appointment. Just let me do the talking, said Elizabeth. Okay, supposing we get through, then what? Then we drive a little ways inside, I switch places with Maud, we let Takata out of the trunk, and you two drive back here. Another pause. But it wasn't Charlie who spoke next. That's it? exclaimed Maud. I mean... You've been plotting for days. That's all we have to do? That's right, said Elizabeth. But what about the blueprints, the tools, the projector? What are all those for? Maud, dear, I'm not tearing you away from vacation one minute longer than I have to. I wish I wasn't even asking for this. But, Maud shook her head, but what will you do? "'We'll tell you all about it when we get back.' "'You stole it,' Charlie muttered. All eyes turned to him. "'You stole this whole idea from... "'What was it again? "'Episode 27?' "'26, actually,' Takata piped up. "'The old stagecoach routine, "'where Mike Bravo switches with Buddy Lane "'to sneak into Fort Pueblo. "'Son of a gun!' Charlie looked painfully at his sister. You know this isn't a movie, right? This is real life, and they're not gonna like getting duped. Elizabeth squeezed his arm. By tonight, it won't matter what they like. They'll have a much bigger problem than you. Oh yeah? What kind of problem? Elizabeth winked. Me. Charlie strangled the steering wheel as the Dodge Roadster whizzed down the dusty highway. He hadn't driven a regular car in ages, and he'd never driven one like this. He looked perfectly calm in his leather jacket and rugged linen shirt, but every nerve was frayed. In part, he didn't like to drive. Like Elizabeth, he had learned horse riding from their mother a motorcycle was a more natural transition. A longtime track and field competitor, Charlie felt claustrophobic inside a tin box. A luxury car wasn't his style at all. As they approached the gate, Charlie's mind went into a tailspin. What were they even doing? The lot was several acres in size, ringed entirely with a stucco barricade and concertina wire. With their glinting metal roofs, the sound stages looked like a walled city. All around lay brittle grass and tufts of sage. The Copeland lot stood on the very edge of Studio City, and the horizon was a jumble of construction sites. They weren't far from civilization, but Charlie felt like he was driving through barren wastes. And there was Elizabeth, lounging in the passenger seat, arm dangling out the open window. She wore a simple black dress as usual, but she had also wrapped a light scarf around her head. She wore bright red lipstick and, most surprising of all, a large pair of sunglasses. Never in his life had Charlie thought of his sister as glamorous, but today she passed he glanced over his shoulder at the roadster's back seat. On the floor of the car, beneath the leather upholstery, hunkered Maud. She was draped in a black blanket, which covered her whole body. She was small enough to wedge herself in the narrow trench at the bottom of the car. From the outside, she looked little more than a shadow. But the thought of Maud crumpled behind him pressed against the hard metal, made him grit his teeth. Charlie slowed before the security booth. A striped wooden arm taunted him through the windshield. A uniformed guard stepped toward them, holding a clipboard. He doffed his peaked cap. "'Morning,' he said. "'You have an appointment?' "'Well, I believe so,' said Elizabeth craning her neck to address the man. And I'm just praying I won't waste your time, Mr. The man raised an eyebrow. Uh, Fitzgerald, ma'am. Mr. Fitzgerald, you must excuse us. I could have sworn they said the audition was Thursday, but we've been leaving messages back and forth, and you know how it is. Fitzgerald scratched his nose. Who are you auditioning for? Mr. Halverson, Elizabeth said. I think that's the one. He's directing Colorado Sunset, isn't he? Uh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, where are my manners? I'm Jane Winter. I'm representing Mr. Crown here, and today is his only free day. Until next week, of course, but Mr. Crown's shooting schedule has been an absolute mess, and, well, I was hoping Mr. Halverson was here, so maybe we could do a quick screen test and be on our way? Fitzgerald flipped through his papers. Well, I don't see an appointment here. Well, doesn't that beat all? Elizabeth exclaimed. I'm sorry, Charlie. I could just wring that secretary's neck, which is just as well, I suppose. Michael Bravo won't film itself. Fitzgerald looked up. There was a glint in his eye. Wait a sec. Are you in Michael Bravo? Elizabeth scoffed. Darling, this is Michael Bravo. Summoning all his charisma, Charlie flashed a smile. You don't say, belted the guard. My kids love that cereal. That's you? In the flesh, said Elizabeth. And if all this works out, well, you didn't hear it from me, but he's got a good shot at that Colorado sunset picture, and I'm just dying to make the introductions. Fitzgerald went back to his clipboard. Well, Mr. Halverson is supposed to be in Studio 3 today. You might be a little bit early to catch him, but if you don't mind waiting up... Could we? Elizabeth said. Would you do that for us? Fitzgerald seemed to weigh the outcome in his mind. Fudge the printed schedule, or bungle a potential movie deal. As long as you head straight to Studio 3 he said in a paternal tone. I don't see a problem with it. Oh, thank you, said Elizabeth. You're an absolute sweetheart, Mr. Fitzgerald. See, Charlie, I told you they were nice here. The arm lifted, and the guard waved them through. The car drifted forward, and Charlie stole a glance at Elizabeth. If I didn't see it with my own eyes. For the record, she replied, I played an excellent donkey as well. The lot was frenetic with activity. Charlie drove the shaded alleyways, hedged in by blank walls. Crewmen moved swiftly from door to door, toting lumber, unloading trucks, stacking flats and lights. Actors wove among the stagehands, wearing every kind of costume, turbans, peacock feathers, powdered wigs, chainmail, and Civil War uniforms. A gaggle of showgirls sprinted in front of the car, flouting sequined leotards. Musketeers gathered on a stairway, removing their false goatees to sip coffee. The montage of historic characters was disorienting, mixed as it was with quick-moving laborers. There, Elizabeth pointed, park us right there. The car turned into a quiet alcove, just beyond the filmmaking ruckus. Elizabeth flung herself into the open air before the wheels had even stopped. She threw open the rear door and ripped the dark blanket off of Maud. Then Elizabeth flipped open the trunk. Takada emerged, soaked in sweat, groaning inwardly barely able to flex his aching limbs. The pair moved quickly. Elizabeth took a satchel from the trunk and strung it over her shoulder. She took off her scarf and tied it around Maud's head. Takada threw on his blazer and affixed a pair of sunglasses. Charlie was dumbstruck by their effect. Unless you really studied him closely, the man hardly looked oriental at all. All right, kids, Takata said, time for you to hit the bricks. They hesitated. Maud squinted in the harsh light. She pulled at her rumpled blouse. Charlie gawped, surprised to be dismissed so abruptly. But there was no point in protest. Whatever was supposed to happen next, neither of them was invited. Charlie took the wheel, and Maud slipped into the seat next to him. The roadster made a sweeping U-turn toward the front gate. They coasted along, back through the hubbub. No one seemed to give them a second glance. A luxury car looked as normal on this lot as anything else. At the gate, Fitzgerald waved. "'Say, how'd it go?' Maud leaned toward him. "'Oh, we rescheduled,' she said, doing her best impression of Elizabeth's impression of a Hollywood agent. But I have a good feeling. Fingers crossed for you, called Fitzgerald, and the gate swung upward. For the first mile, they said nothing. Charlie drove as tensely as before, eyes fixed on the road ahead, but a sinking feeling overtook him. All at once, he smacked the wheel, The roadster changed course, skidding in the gravel. Maud yelped as the car veered into the shoulder. Clouds of dust rose all around. The car halted. The engine hummed in front of them. "'What the hell did we just do?' he cried. "Are, are, "'Are we just supposed to lie low now? Read a magazine? Wait up for them like some old den mother?' Maud bit her lip. Could you not yell, please? Charlie huffed. I'm not yelling at you. Well, I'm the only one here. Charlie tore a cigarette from his pack and jammed it into his lips, but he let it dangle there. He gazed through the dust-flecked windshield at the drab yellow landscape beyond. Far away, palm trees leaned. Above, a savage sun beat down on them. The scene was so quiet now, so lifeless. "'We have to go back,' he said. Maud glared. "'No, we don't.' "'Look,' said Charlie. "'I know you think my sister's some kind of genius, and sure, maybe she is, but she's also a real Butterfingers. Doesn't have a lick of common sense.' Charlie, and and she's clumsy. She'll talk big and get up in your face and give you a piece of her mind no matter who you are, but she can get herself into real trouble just as quick. And and Maud reached out and touched his hand. She squeezed the skinny, calloused fingers. Charlie jerked, surprised by the unexpected contact. Charlie, she said. I know. But you don't. You don't know her like I do. You're right, Maud cooed. But you don't know her like I do. Charlie took a long breath. He tugged at his collar. We're not the kind of family that gets too sentimental about things. But, to tell the truth, I think I may have really missed her. I think she missed you too, Charlie. She couldn't wait to see you. Well, he went on. If I'm being honest, I've got a bad feeling about all this. I mean, she's off a rocker even going in there, but... I don't want there to be a reason. I have to miss her again. Maud nodded. I think that all the time. Do you? About her? "'Oh, yes, she'll give you the heebie-jeebies, the things she does. "'But if there's anything I've learned, and I've learned a lot, I really have, "'it's that you have to let Elizabeth do what she does, for better or worse.'" A long time passed. An airplane flew overhead. Tumbleweed rolled lazily down the road. At last, Charlie forced himself to press the gas, The car lurched into motion, rolling away from the studio, back toward the city. "'She really is some kind of detective, isn't she?' Charlie said, half question and half statement. "'This isn't some malarkey, is it? She really does, I don't know, solve mysteries and stuff like that.'" Maud smirked. "'Oh, Charlie, you have no idea.'" You've been listening to The Girl in the Picture, Episode 4. Written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. Music provided and licensed by Audioblocks.com. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Airmail Media in beautiful Providence, Rhode Island. For more information about the exciting field of oncology, visit elizabethcrown.net.